This is Afterbirth, the fourth and more postpartum support group brought to you by Preggers Can Be Choosers. In this podcast, we offer peer-to-peer support, not paid psychotherapy. We try to offer support and personal experiences over solutions. If you find yourself in need of more support, the Postpartum Support International, or PSI, warm line is 1-800-944-4773. You can also send a text message to 503-894-9453. English and Spanish options are available. If you'd like to join our conversation live, we meet every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Central Time. Need a reminder? You can sign up for text alerts at www.preggers.rock. Lastly, if you find this podcast helpful, please consider sponsoring this group for 99 cents a month. And don't forget to share this podcast with friends and family who may find it helpful too. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Rowan Two Sisters with Preggers Can Be Choosers. And this is your fourth and more postpartum support group that we have every Tuesday at 11 o'clock central. If you'd like to join us, we want you. If you're seven years postpartum, we want you. If you're seven weeks pregnant, we want you. We just want you to come and feel support, especially in these times of COVID and also Black Lives Matter. Two things are important to us, that we keep our families safe and also that we honor all people that come in and want to be with us, especially our POC folks who maybe don't feel like they're getting enough support or have seen physically. If that's not you or you don't appreciate those same things, you can just leave us right now. A quick note about me, I'm one-third of Preggers Can Be Choosers. I'm a licensed midwife here in Houston, Texas. I currently work at Northeastern Birth Center, and uh, I'm doing gap care for folks who are having COVID situations. And um, last week we were off, but the week before that we were on, and we're back in the game now. So I'm going to mute myself, and if you'd like to unmute yourself and introduce yourself, we typically say who we are, how many weeks or postpartum we have, and... uh, Anything else you'd like to share? And if you have something going on, then let us know that you got something going on, and we'll let back around and take care of you. We have two birth stories I think we're going to hear today, which are very exciting. And uh, I'll try to get Mama D to come in, too. I know she had a baby, not this Sunday, but last. So anyway, I'll mute myself and go ahead and introduce yourself, and away we go. Okay. Wait, am I supposed to start? I just started. Okay. So I'm Keisha. Um, I am not pregnant anymore as of the fourth. So I just had my baby boy. His name is Nicolas and we call him Nico. And uh, he does well. He's doing well in the world. Even though there's a lot going on, he's still doing what he needs to do. But other than that, being a new mom, I don't have much going on. I'm Maggie. I'm one, eight days postpartum, nine days postpartum. Um, I was sleeping as of, you know, I went back to bed very, very quickly after I texted this morning, Rowan. Uh, I'm going to eat some oatmeal during today's session. I'm doing pretty good, pretty tired. Yesterday I was up all day and I didn't nap. And I got so much done. I was so proud of myself. I went to bed at 6.30 and it was amazing. Um, and that's, that's all I have. Today, I'm probably going to sleep most of today. 
and that's okay. Hey, I'm Bev. Um, I have four kids. I'm, I've been struggling really bad this past week. Um, I'm like switching my antidepressants and I've been like at an all time low. Uh, and then of course, on top of that, the nine month old is not sleeping. She just completely forgot how to sleep. So I'm just like really sleep deprived and um, depressed. So one thing I really appreciate about this group is that we're super real with each other, you know, like if we're depressed, we say it, we own it, and it's okay, there's not a judgment or whatever. And um, I just, right on, right on. Okay, so we have two birth stories. Who wants to go first? Well, maybe Maggie, you could go first with your birth story, and then um, Taisha. And I'm not saying your name right, and at some point I just gave up trying to remember how to say your name. And that's when you became a little sweet pea. So uh, Mags, why don't you go first and then sweet pea will go second. Okay, and sharing birth stories. And then Bev, if we can lap back around and talk about what's going on with you, no problem after that. Does that sound okay? All right. First story. Um, I labored mostly in my sleep. Like Wait, everybody like, might not know all of your deeds. So for uh, yeah, right. like so, just back or just a quick four one one. Back it up a little bit. Um, I tested positive for COVID in March, and um, I had preterm labor contractions in February, and it's just been overall like a really intense pregnancy. I bled for the first three months, and um, uh. I had interviewed Rowan and then I had moved away and then we moved back and I contacted Rowan when I was having contractions in February and I was like, hey, so I need someone to like talk me down. And, um, you know, we came up with a plan and we did gap care. And then as soon as I got um, Medicaid, because I had lost my job, um, we, I started doing the North Houston Birth Center and then um, everything, like, at 37 weeks, just kind of quieted. And he was just kind of like, I'm good. Like, we made it this far. Like, I'm just going to stay in here for a while. And so I kept thinking he was going to come early. And he came 40 weeks and three days on June 28th. So that was a Sunday morning. And of course, it was the one day that Ron was going out of town because everything likes to be complicated. <laughs> so I text Rowan. Um, I took a shower because I was like, it was 5 a.m. And I was like, man, if I'm going to have a baby today, I should probably shower because I stink. <laughs> and so I took a shower. And I took a really long shower, which is not common for me. I'm usually like a in and out five, 10 minutes type person. This was like more of a like a 45 minute shower of me wiggling my hips. And then um, I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to lay back down and, and maybe it'll all just go away. And maybe it's just like one of those ones where it's like faking me out again. 
So I laid down, and as soon as I laid down, the rest of my mucus plug just like shot out all over my bed and legs and floor. <laughs> it was really messy. I told my husband, I was like, hey, Michael, I think, can you, can you give me a towel? I think my water broke. There's a lot of, there's a lot of fluids. And I texted her and I sent her some pictures and there was a lot of blood because one of the side effects of um, being pregnant with COVID is you get blood clots in between your placenta and your uterus and it's basically your body protecting itself and protecting your baby, which is really freaking cool science-wise. Um, so um, after chatting with Rowan while I was in the shower, rinsing my legs off because I was covered in lots and lots of blood, um, she asked me if I had felt the baby move, when last time I felt the baby move was, and it was the night before. He was just all over the place, but as soon as I like started laboring that morning, I wasn't feeling a move at all. So we decided that I needed to go to the emergency room. Um, so we headed to Memorial Hermann Heights on Ella. That's the closest hospital. And I waddled my way up to the third floor. Because the lady at check-in said it was the third floor when it was the fourth floor. So got some extra steps in. Um, Michael literally got to, after like parking the car and meeting me inside, he got there at the same time at the, the check-in desk at labor and delivery. Well, the nurse was really nice. Um, they didn't appreciate that I kept laboring on my knees, bent over the bed versus on my back because fuck, laboring on your back, that shit hurts. Um, and at least on your, your knees, you have like mobility and I was wiggling my hips and Michael was holding them together and they were trying to ask me all these questions about like my history. And I was just kind of like, I'm not giving you any of this information. Like, let's get this going. Like, I feel like I have to poop. And they checked me and I was six centimeters and she was like, oh, you're fine. I was like, no, no, I feel like I have to poop. And so she checked me again. I was eight centimeters. So they threw me in a wheelchair. Um, oh, that was another thing. They put the IV in my hand. I can you, you can still kind of see the bruise a week later. Um, they put the IV in my hand. And because I kept flipping back and forth and because they wanted me on my back, every time I would have a contraction, I'd flip over again. So I accidentally knocked the IV out, blood shooting more blood shooting everywhere. <laughs> Fluids dropping on the floor. It was pretty comical now that you look back at it. And then um, they got me in a wheelchair and to a delivery room. And um, my two nurses, one of them was from Jamaica and she was a midwife and her name was Lennox. And she was the exact right amount of bossy that I needed because Sometimes you have to boss me around because I'm just so stubborn. And then um, Alicia was our other nurse and she was like the perfect amount of nurturing. So like they really balanced each other out. Um, so when we got to the labor room, all the lights were off. She like parked the chair and went to go turn all the lights on, get the bed ready. And I stood up and she was like, 
yelling at me to sit back down so I didn't have this baby on the floor. And I was like, no, no, it's cool. Like, I need to wiggle. You can't keep me. You cannot keep asking me to sit down. Hey, y'all. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to get right back to it. Getting back to our real talk after birth style. Or be on my back. And so they kept telling me that I needed to be on my back. And if I was going to be on my back, did I want an epidural? And I was like, yeah, if you're going to make me be on my back, give me an epidural. And they were like, it's too late for that. And I was like, what the hell? Like, why'd you even offer, like, just to mess with me? Um, but I was good. And then so I labored on my side was the negotiation, not on my all fours, but on my side. And as soon as I started doing that, my water like literally exploded and shot out um, towards my husband. <laughs> and um, I got on my back and six little pushes that were very spaced out because I got tired and the contraction slowed down. Out came this little guy. And as soon as he laid on my chest, he peed on me. And he has peed on me every day since. So that's been fun. I've been just lots of like fluids still. Um, we're doing good. Um, we stayed in the hospital for 24 hours or 29 hours total. The nurses were great. The only time we ever had to wear a mask was when we left the room. Um, we were one of two families in the postpartum wing. Um, the food was horrible. They wouldn't let Michael go out to the car to get our bags to like just have our own stuff um, and I had packed like plenty of snacks so Michael eventually ended up sneaking out to get everything which was nice because those honey sticks were life-saving like just quick snacks because they bring you food at four o'clock for dinner and it's like cool it's nine o'clock and I'm hungry <laughs> Again, I just felt famished, and I kept telling them after I late, like had tag that I was like, I need something. Like, you guys need to give me something to eat or drink, or I need apple juice. And she kept saying, "Are you diabetic?" And I said, "No, I just haven't eaten since I think it was like nine o'clock the night before, and it was ten o'clock in the morning." And I was like, "Cool, you should just give me something to put in my system." Um. So he was seven pounds and four ounces and we're already past our birth weight and he just sleeps all day and the pediatrician said he's perfect. We have failed our hearing test and have not gone back in to get it done yet because mom is slacking on, on that, I guess. Um, but he's good. We sat outside for a little bit yesterday. We're doing good. We're doing good. I'm Everyone, my four-year-old, my husband, all of us are just like completely obsessed with him. He's a, he's a pretty solid baby minus, you know, being peed on every day. So, um, no, no complaints. How about um, any repair on your bottom? What was it? Repair on your bottom? Oh yeah, no, I tore in every direction. Um, uh, I finally, Felt the courage yesterday to feel the stitches. My entire perineum is torn all the way to my butt. So I remember 
when I was on the table still holding him and they were like, hey, you have some tears. We're going to have to stitch you up. And she told me, she was like, I have to put a finger in your butt to see how far deep this tear is. And I was like, just stitch it up, like do what you need to do. And it's, um, it's funny. It feels like it's almost like a muscle that I tore. So that's been fun. I love ice packs. Those are like, um, my godmother bought me an entire box of those vagina ice packs, the ones you shake and then you stick in your underwear and it's like a pad. So that's been awesome. Um, I really want to take a shower soon and then put one of those on. Mary and I came up with something. Mary, you know, Mary's real funny and she, uh, there's suppositories that you can put um, right at introitus, that's the word for right at the opening of the vagina. And um, at six weeks postpartum, you can start doing them. And I'm feeling confident in sharing this with because I'm a midwife. Um, for those of you that are not your midwife, can talk to your provider. But um, these suppositories, we're calling them suppositories because um, it's funny. But uh, they'll have vitamin E, castor oil, uh, a little bit of cocoa butter, and some marshmallow roots to kind of hold it together. And that will really heal and nourish those tissues right there. And also, it should. Um, mitigate some scar tissue. So that'll I be at six weeks. I can start doing that. Yeah, at six weeks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a really significant tear. So if you'd had a tear like that with me, we would have had to send you to the hospital just like that. But yeah, because that's, um, yeah, that's more than that's a stage four, stage three, stage four, and I can do stage one and stage two. But also. Um, the position that you deliver in sometimes makes a difference on how you, uh, how your body reacts. So it may not have been that you would have had tearing like that, but I, um, one of the things I'd ask Maggie postpartum is, are you mad at me for sending you to the hospital? And what did you say? Absolutely not. This was part of our plan. Um, I was just lucky enough to have this open line of communication this long with you about, you know, being COVID positive and having a backup plan. And there's no way I could be mad at you. You've been here for me since as long as I could, <laughs> as long as you could be, you know? Um, I know I'm not, no, no madness at all. Did you hemorrhage? Um, I don't, I don't know. And you may not know, you may not know. Did you didn't need like a blood transfusion or anything like that. For those of us who are listening with ears about COVID positive, did you have to have a blood transfusion or anything like that? No, they didn't give me blood. I went through three bags of fluid though in 29 hours, which is like nuts. Um, everything was swollen afterwards, specifically my hands. Um, they're, they're back down, like you said, they would be after a week. But those fluids, they just stuck in my hands, and um, yeah, I've been I've been taking the ibuprofen for the pain, but it's been getting less and less. So I'm only taking it like once a day instead of like the three times a day. Okay, so um, if anybody has any questions for uh, for Maggie. Throw them out there. Mama D's with us here too. She just had her baby. Mama D, we're listening to Maggie's birth story. Then we're going to go to um, Keisha's birth story, and then we'll be you if you like to share. But um, to wrap up, uh, Mags had to, when her 
mucus plug dropped out, we saw that it also had holding back a lot of um, blood, which really scared me because of the amount. And a, a quad or two is okay, but like that volume let me know that um, I thought the placenta was erupting, but I didn't want to say those words to you, but that's why I was like, you need to go right now. Um, but it turned out not to be an abruption, but lessening some clots, and it might have been a partial abruption. And some of these, it's hard to figure out after the back or even during. But um, the bottom line here is we've got a baby in her arms, and she um, breastfeeding is going well, even though it was a challenge in the beginning, or no, it wasn't a challenge in the beginning. Um, so he has a horrible latch. I've taken him for a baby adjustment, aka baby massage. And so it's not his palate the roof, it's the bottom, um, and it's the right, his right side is, um, it's slanted, so basically what they tell you to do is, like, let them gnaw on your finger a few times on each side, and then you massage the TMJ, and then you, um, put your finger under his tongue, and you have to you don't do any pressure. You just have to put it, your finger under his tongue and do like little circles. And he hates that part, but he likes the little baby massage parts afterwards under his chin and everything like that. And so I had the lactation consultant meeting also. He stopped. Um, and part of it also is because his jaw is so tight from the bottom platform is what she calls it. He has a hard time opening all the way. So instead of like, him, he just tries to go like this instead of like completely around my nipple. So nursing has not been um, the easiest, but we are still making it and he is getting better every day with all these little exercises we're doing. And um, I did end up giving him like, I think it was a total two ounces of formula, like the first night or second night of us being home was because he wasn't latching. So um, no shame in that, whatever. Yeah, he needed it, he needed to eat. So then we got all this appointments and stuff made and he's he's well past birth weight again. So I'm working on it. We're, we're a, a team, buddy. Yeah. Right on. Okay, uh, Kate, are you ready to go? Okay, so um, I guess, yeah, nobody knows me. So I'm a pretty open person. I'm kind of like growing. And um, I'll just kind of share like a backstory why uh, I chose midwifery. And um, well, I'm 24, so I'm not... Uh, super young, but I'm also not old. Everybody thinks I'm a baby still. My mom is currently in the living room trying to feed me. But um, I got, I met a man and uh, I was going through some emotional trauma and uh, basically he convinced me to marry him. And I married this man in the span of five months. And uh, then everything changed. And I realized uh, he was a part of a cult, which is fine. 
but uh, you should let people know that before you marry them. And um, he uh, basically, they just uh, believe in preparing for the end of the world and the end times uh, for when Jesus comes back. And I didn't know anything about that. So when I opposed, when I started opposing their practices, it was now time for me to go and learn how to become a wife. So um, I had to go and learn how to become a wife. And I, they, he moved me up to Illinois. And uh, they forced me to remove my birth control because it was ungodly that I had birth control. And uh, it was a part of me becoming a wife. So I was forced to remove my birth control. Um, and then at this point, I do not love this man. But um, after I removed my birth control, then it was taught by the elders that I'm not allowed to deprive my husband's sex. So, um, yeah, which is rape. Doesn't matter if you're married. So I was not allowed to deprive him sex because that's part of being a good wife. And uh, obviously no birth control and sex equals a big. But um, I knew that I had to go. So like, they kind of like lock me in this room. And uh, one day they just... Uh, weren't paying as much attention and I called somebody and uh they came I was like you just need to come now uh don't ask me any questions and I threw all of my crap like inside of trash bags and I left um and then like when a couple of days they found me money and I was able to like drive straight back to Texas in my little Fiat and I was like gone like me and the Fiat did not stop because I was so scared that he was gonna find me so I got back and uh, I was like, "Woo! I'm I'm experiencing a lot of trauma, and my body is weird." So I didn't know that I was pregnant, and then I was like, "Well, I could be pregnant. You're not stupid, so you maybe should try to take a test." And so I did, and I was pregnant. And then I told my mom, and she just said, "Okay, well, let me know what your choice is." And I was like, "What choice?" I was like, no, he's, uh, I didn't know he was a boy at the time. I was like, no, it's fine. Baby's fine. Um, let me have the baby. And so I decided at that moment I was going to have a baby. And I knew that I needed midwife care because I have had so much trauma, even before the accidental marriage. So I knew that I needed midwifery. And I literally... Um, I had, I had run away from everything. So I didn't have any like healthcare or anything like that. And so I had to do like a whole bunch of research by myself. I'm also adopted. So, um, it was, it was, I didn't want to put everything on my mom, uh, because it's traumatic for her as well saying, uh, well, all of this stuff just happened to your daughter. Oh, and by the way, I know you're still dealing with these things emotionally that you uh, can't have babies, but I need you to be like in the room with me and go through this with me, which is like traumatic. So 
I had to do everything by myself. And then I found North Houston Birthing Center. And I went and I was like still in trauma. But then I also started going to therapy. So I was doing what I needed to do in order to be prepared because I had to attempt to heal from trauma and then start to attempt to fall in love with this baby and not think of it like this is this man's baby. So um, I mostly had Kathleen. Actually, I had Kathleen the whole entire time up until they were like a couple of weeks ago. They were like, hey, have you met Rowan? And I was like, no. I was like, I thought it was Kathleen. And then they were like, no, we're going to have you meet Rowan. And I was like, okay. So I met Rowan. And I kid you not, it was like the answer I knew. Like, it's not, it, it was just the support that I needed. Kathleen is extremely knowledgeable. She's so intelligent. And she will tell you anything. Like, she is the encyclopedia of midwifery. It is absolutely insane. But I needed an emotional, it was more emotion for me because of so much trauma. And when I, like, uh, I first, I met Rowan, she came in the room and I was like, what? I was like how the babies look when they're trying to find, like, the nipple. And, um, <laughs> and then, like, the first thing that Rowan asked me, it was like, um, the week when Black Lives Matter um, was starting to take place. And there was a lot of emotion, especially in the minority community. And she asked me how I was doing. And I was like, I'm okay. Like, I, I'm shocked. Somebody cares how I'm doing, not just like physically, but she asked about my mental health. And I was like, oh yeah, everything is aligning in the universe because the universe knew that I needed this. And Actually, it was the first, Rome asked me if I needed a hug. It was the first time that I had, like, gotten a hug in my pregnancy for, like, maybe, like, four months. And then, I think, she, well, she, we were talking about Black Lives Matter, but I was actually bawling more so because I needed a hug. <laughs> and so, um, she just kept, like, reminding me that, like, you know, she didn't even know anything about my story, but she kept reminding me, she was like, and uh, you're doing your part um, by, you know, accepting this midwifery care and doing these things and being the best mom that you can be. That's how you impact uh, the minority community um, during this time, because I felt bad that I couldn't protest. But... Um, Fast forward, so I see like Rowan a couple more times, and then, um, you know, my I'm starting to feel good, like because everything is falling into place, and I also don't know what happens like when you're pregnant because it's first time being pregnant. So like I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. I I was just I'm just like a nonchalant person. Like my mom is definitely not, and my mom's like, what's gonna happen? I'm like, I don't know. Probably just gonna like labor and have a baby, and then. Um, it started to happen on the 3rd of July. Um, so the 3rd of July, like I had a fine pregnancy, like nothing wrong. I didn't have anything on like my paperwork. I was just rolling. I still was at work. Actually, I went to work on the 2nd of July. And then um, I was just 
chilling, working. Nico was in there. He came to work with me. And then um, on the, the third, I um, I was chilling out because they told me I had to stop working. And I was like, okay, fine. I'm fine. But, you know, I was just laying in my bed and I started getting like cramps. And I don't know because I've never been pregnant before. So I texted my friend and I was like, hey, just quick question. Um, do you contractions feel like period cramps? And she was like, uh, yeah, why? And I was like, oh, I think I'm having some right now. It's probably just false labor. I'm gonna go to sleep. Kind of like you did. And it was not, it was not. And then it started, and then I'm still trying to do stuff. Like I went to Kroger. I went to, where did I go? I went to Kroger. I, I took a walk because people were like doing fireworks. I was like, yeah, I'm trying to go see the fireworks. My friend's like, hey, can you please like sit down? You're freaking me out. And I'm like, oh no, it's fine, dude. Like I'm trying to go see the fireworks. And then um, she's like following me around. She's like terrified. And uh, eventually like it got to the point where I could not move off the bed. Well, Ron told me to try to go to sleep. So I was trying to go to sleep and I could not sleep through my contractions, unfortunately. But um, it got to a point where then I had to go to the breathing center. So we went to the breathing center and I was in like already active labor because I got out of the car and then I just vomited everywhere, everywhere. And then I was like, oh, well, there goes the wrap. I just bought at Kroger. Like that was what I was concerned about. Who knows why? It was a good wrap. That's why. But um, we made our way up and we started laboring. And I think that was at like, what, two o'clock in the morning? Two o'clock, maybe four. Didn't even know what time it was. You had no idea. So we got there and uh, we just got the bathtub filled up. And uh, me and Rowan had the best conversation beforehand. And it was just about this is my body and she was like I want you to feel safe literally the, I kid you not the, the universe knew I needed Rowan because she was like I want you to feel safe above everything else and you know I want you to know that I'm a safe person and then she asked me she just she didn't say I'm a safe person and then like just kept going she was like I want you to know that I'm a safe person do you feel like I'm a safe person and then I was like, yes, you're safe. And everybody felt safe. And we had like the music going and everything was good. We had some James Bay. It was going nice. And I got into the bathtub. I had, you know, I was going through what I was, you know, contractions. But who knows what time it is now either because I didn't keep track. But, um, I was like, this is taking for a long time. This is taking a long time. And uh, I got out of the bathtub and then I had to go to the bed. And then um, basically he wouldn't go past a plus one. And um, I was dilated at eight centimeters for how, like eight hours like eight hours and it wouldn't change i we tried everything like sitting on the toilet was horrible that is horrible absolutely 
treacherous. But we had to sit on the toilet um, to try and open up the pelvis um, and just trying different positions. I was in like lunges, like full blown runner's lunge, um, flipping and twisting around. And my friends, like my mom is doing what she needs to do to support me. I'm like saying some choice words at my mom, and mom's like, you know, I can't get mad at her right now. She she keeps bringing it up, so I know it was like impactful for her because I'm not allowed to talk to my mom like that. But um, even and then my friends like in the corner like petrified. She's already had a baby before, but she's like petrified. She's just actually just I think she went into this mode like Rowan would ask her to do something, she would just like she looked like a petrified piece of wood. She was just scared, but um, it was fine. Like there was nothing wrong. There was nothing like dire. There were no emergencies happening. So we just kept going. And then I, it got to the point where I was just trying to go. Like I just wanted him out and I just needed to do what I needed to do. But there were like certain positions because of my trauma that I could not labor in. I, I didn't like, you know, I could, I can't be touched. Certainly. Uh, Rowan did a fantastic job at that because, uh, you know, mind you guys, I ran from a situation. So during my whole entire pregnancy, there was no sexual stimulation whatsoever. Nothing was touched down there at all. And so um, it just got to the point where Ron just made me look at her. She was like, we're here. And uh, well, my butt's in the air. So she was like down looking at me. And she was like, I think that it's, you've done the best that you can do. And your body is just tired. And I just started crying because I was like, I failed I didn't do I didn't do it and you know she just I was thinking that in my head and then she said you're not a failure this does not mean that you failed and um, my body was just tired how long was that like 15 hours I, I don't know like I have no idea like six trillion days I was in labor so we call that labor math when people don't know, but I think you were in active labor from about four o'clock to about 12 o'clock, well, one o'clock with me. So however many hours that is, so that's eight, nine. So you were in active labor for about nine hours. And I'll just jump in here that I was watching her get more and more tighter. And here's the thing, there were no red flags, but I have an agreement that because I'm a newer midwife, when I see pink flags, that I'm gonna honor those. And so what I was seeing that occasionally I would hear the baby's heart rate go down and not down in a danger zone, but down that wasn't his normal. And so, and then one time we got kind of a high reading. So during your contractions, the baby would respond well, but occasionally I would get a down reading and I was like, huh. And this was enough and that my little spidey sense started going, okay, this is a baby communicating that normally is that, you know, the mom is fatigued, but that the baby's starting to wear out a little bit too. And when babies wear out, they wear out fast, right? So you have to catch those little, little signs early. So that's where I was like, okay, mama's tired, baby's tired. And around the same time that I was really starting to think this, somebody else came in next door and there was a great big shenanigan there next door that I had to do with. I mean, it was fine. That was fine. The baby's fine. Everything's fine. 
but it took my attention off of you. And then when I came back, I was like, I had a fresh set of eyes where I was like, this is not going like I want it to. And I also talked to some other midwives where I know that they would have stayed longer with you, but typically there's some shenanigans at the end, like there's a hemorrhage or there's a tear or there's something. And I don't want that. So that's when I started. And I made sure to make it so that it was your choice. Like I was just letting you know that this is what I'm seeing and that, you know, what would you like? Because um, I don't want to lay my trip on you. you know, my job is to give you all the information so you can make decisions. And it wasn't emergent. It wasn't like we had to rush anywhere or do anything like that. So that's why I was like, oh, And it was not an emergency, so we took a car. <laughs> but um, yes, so we just were thinking about baby, and she did make sure that it was my choice. And she was like, "We can stay," and I was just like, "It's okay, we gotta go," because I was exhausted. Like uh, my body feels like I ran, like Forrest Gump. Like my shoulders hurt, I, um, my back hurts, everything. So I got, I went to the same hospital as. You did as the uh, Memorial Hermann Heights, and I did not have a similar experience until, like, I had to voice my opinion. And I have really strong views um, about also why I did not choose a hospital, because I don't know if you guys know these stats, um, but statistically, when you are a minority on Medicaid, you're going to get a C-section. And... Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that go behind it, but that was one thing I knew that I was going to have to, you have to fight for it. You have to fight because they're going to tell you and then they're going to back it up with a whole bunch of medical information. And um, I was going to have to do this while I was in labor. And uh, so I get there and like I'm in the chair. Um, they have everything, you know, Rowan made uh, all of the discharge paper, everything that had happened at the center was communicated to everybody at the hospital and they rolled me up and uh they put me in this room and they started doing like you know asking questions doing all these examinations and the doctor comes in and uh she's you know it's kind of like they look at me like just another young minority that's having a baby and that wants to get it over with and uh i'm in active labor and uh, it was hard switching from being with Rowan to the doctors because if I said, hey, Rowan, I need a second, I can have a second, but they didn't, they, they didn't give me a second. Um, and not everything is because I am a minority. Not everything is because of that. But um, unfortunately, like you do get treated a little differently. And um, I have trauma. And um, she said she needed to see how far I was dilated. And I said, um, I, I need you to wait. Um, and I need you to go very slow. And I'm having a contraction while I'm communicating this to her. And she was like, well, nope, I need to see it. And she thought I was being like overdramatic. And she shoved her fingers up my private area. And I literally was like, I remember just like screaming and I was like, okay, that's enough. Like, that's enough. And my mom had to, my mom had to look at a different nurse to her and say, hey, she's in trauma. And then the doctor was able to say like, 
oh, okay, well, there's a different way that I can do it then. And I was like, you didn't listen to me the first time. So she was able to, like, a different way, how much I was dilated, still dilated eight. And um, she just basically looks at me and she's like, hey, we're going to have to have a C-section. And I was like, no. Because I knew that was going to happen. And, um, and I was like, no. And uh, she was like, just staring at me, kind of the doctor just kind of stared at me. And I was still going through contractions, like they were hard. And uh, I just, uh, you know, I was so tired too. And she just kept saying it. So I was like, fine. I was like, do whatever you want. You're going to do whatever you want anyways. I was like, fine, do it. And then there was another nurse that kind of was able to advocate for me. And she was like, hey, dog, she, she's, she's tried really hard. Like, she's come this far. Like, can we try to have this baby vaginally? And unfortunately, they thought that I didn't want a C-section because I wanted to be pretty. And I wasn't able to communicate. Like, that wasn't it until, like, later. And uh, I had gotten on my knees, like you did, and they, she, um, I just didn't have the same experience where she asked if I could put back where it just kind of flipped me back. And uh, my mom, like, that was, like, you know, they waited until my mom left. You know, I just, um, he wasn't coming down, and... Uh, you know, they were able to finally give me the epidural because I was like, if she's going to be touching me like this, I don't want to feel it. I mean, I'll be here to experience it, but I don't want to feel it. And so, um, baby's heartbeat kept dropping when I was on my back. And um, he, I wouldn't dilate anymore and he wouldn't come down. And so baby was so tired. And she said, I think that we're going to have to do a C-section. And so I just started crying. And, and um, I, at this point, I didn't even ask, like, hey, can I have a minute? Because it doesn't matter. The, the, obviously, my opinion doesn't matter. So she said, like, no, the scar is going to be fine. Like, don't worry about the scar. And in my head, I'm just like, God, you guys are so ignorant. And so, like, my mom was like, you know, they said that the scar's not that bad. And I was like, it's not the scar. It's not the scar. Like, I'm 24 years old. You're going to, you guys do this all the time. You guys give 19-year-old C-section. And then they can't, you know, V-backs are hard. And then you go back to a hospital and they're like, no, I'm not going to form a V-back. And then you're like, never get to experience a natural birth again. So it's, that's what was going through my head. If I want more kids, you're going to you're going to ruin it for me, which I know that's not the 100% truth, but that's what was going through my head. Not, oh, I want to look cute. I want to look pretty. No, I could care less. You're just going to cut me open because you guys feel like it, feel like making more money. And um, I was able to calm down and I told myself it's because you're, you know, baby boy is tired. Okay. And um, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to do that anymore. And so I was able to calm down and um, 
nobody was nobody was there besides like my mom at this point and um a couple of the nurses who kind of like saw um but nobody was like hey are you okay or do you need you know what do you need right now nobody cared it was just all right are you done okay now we're gonna move you we're gonna prepare you to the room and um so i just got prepared to go into the c-section and i am um, everything negative was going through my head i not gonna be the first one to hold my baby i'm not gonna be the first one to touch my baby Oh my God, I wanted ruin so bad. But um, I just kind of sat there on the table, just like thinking, I mean, you can't feel anything. You can't see anything. Nobody really talks to you. There's like 10 people in the room, but nobody talks to you. And uh, then I heard him cry and I was like, I did it. You know, he's safe. And um, I don't care how he got here, but he did, and uh, he doesn't know. He just knows that he came out, and, and um, it was, oh my gosh, it was a treacherous experience, and then they sewed me back up, and I was like, I gotta go see my baby, like, I gotta go see him, um, and then I came, and they rolled me into the room, and then I got to hold him for the first time. It was, like, so great, and I just told him how much I loved him, and um, when I told you, I was like, hey, dude, when I told you you could come, this is not what I meant, but you do what you want. You have your own rights, um, and it was, I was able to look at it in a more positive manner, and I couldn't wait to start, like, breastfeeding him, and I wanted to read him a story, but I didn't have any books <laughs> because I thought I was going to go from this birthing center back home, but um after that, like, when they made me, like, stay, then a lot of the nurses, like, were able to come in, and, like, then, like, I guess, like, word started getting around, and, um, like, my demeanor was very different in, in the hospital, like, towards the nurses, and, like, the staff, not all of the, is their fault, and I understand that, but, um, I'd rather just not, like, try to keep on trying, like, hey, do you guys hear my feelings? Do you guys hear my feelings? I'd rather just, like, say, like, never mind, so I was, like, up, like, I had just, I, like, had this cesarean birth, and I'm, like, up, going at it, waking up, getting the baby, and they're, like, hey, um, you're, you're moving around pretty well, and I'm, like, yeah, I'm fine, no, it's, a, and, like, they would be, like, hey, we can change this for you, and I'm, like, no, I will do it, I'll go change my own pad, and I'll change this, and, um, it wasn't because I was trying to be, like, this independent woman or anything was because I was like no you guys suck you guys didn't want to help me out in the beginning and all of a sudden you guys want to help me I can change my own path like do my own self I can feed my own baby or you know do whatever and um my mom was like super supportive Rowan was as soon as I was like not tired then I you know asked for my phone and Rowan's name was right there like right there just wanting to be like right there you know hey what are how are you doing? And I was like, should have just grabbed my phone the whole time. Just the first one to ask how I was doing. And he, he was healthy and he just was like a rock star. And I was just like, I'm excited to be a mom. It was the craziest experience of my life. And also 
I just, I'm glad that I had it and I'm glad that I had to go through it because it also reminds me that there is still advocacy work that needs to be done. Doesn't matter like how many degrees me and my mom have between each other. Nobody cared. Nobody cared how many degrees, like how well we spoke. Nothing, like nothing mattered. Um, and there still needs to be work to be done. And so hopefully I can do that by sharing the story because it's treacherous that, you know, I'm, well, I'm 24 with like psych degree, but there's like 18 year olds and teenagers that have to go through that. That's traumatic, dude. And I will not have that happen on my watch while I'm here on the earth walking around. But yes, I'm so sorry for my emotions. I also just got done having a baby. So, um, okay. Let those emotions out. <laughs> first time. First time that I've cried about it. But um, Nico does, he does well. He also, I, I just don't let him go. That's my fault. I don't let him go away from me because he's everything to me right now. So thank you, Rowan, for for coming into my life and impacting it in such a positive manner. And that's my birthing story. <laughs> that's anybody have anything they want to say. The way I'm on somebody else's computer, so I can only see myself and whoever's speaking. So I couldn't see the other people's faces during this. So um, does anybody have anything to say? Aisha, I'm assuming you guys are crying just like I was. I'm so sorry that you had that experience, but I'm also so proud of you for taking charge there at the end of the hospital and just being like, no, no, I've got this because I'm strong enough to do this on my own. Like, I don't need you nurses help look at me um, changing my pad on my own. Shit, I, I had my husband changing my pad because I was hurting. <laughs> so I'm super proud of you for doing that. That's awesome. And he is so beautiful and has so much hair. And I want to eat it. Thank you. <laughs> Bev or Mama D. Mama D, we'll get to you next week to hear your first story, Bev. But um, Mama D or Bev, you have anything you want to say to Mags or? I just want to say that. That okay? Wait, hold on. Sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sorry, y'all. Um, we're trying to get lunch on the table, so I've got people coming in asking questions. But I think our system can be so fucked up, and that's just like. You know, you're telling your story and it makes me cry. And it's it's always been a fear of mine to give birth in a hospital because of how fucked up things can be. And I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm happy that you got like the pre-birth and post-birth, you know, experience with Rowan, that you have that and that you have us now. Um, and that your hospital story is, just a small part of the bigger story, right? 
And so I hope that, you know, you can move forward and look at positives, but also grieve what was taken from you in a sense and what they did. Um, Cause yeah. I'm sorry, girl, but I'm happy that you're here with us. And thank you for sharing that whole story and being raw and open and sharing your past with us too. Thank you. Thank you for trusting us with that. And Bev, I know that you're having a rough time. Uh, Bev isn't um, by her phone right now. Oh, she isn't? Okay, I just can't see. So, um, Kesha, baby, um, do you feel comfortable with me recording this and putting it up? Nobody listens to our podcast. We have a uh, listener group of 11. So, um, but if you don't feel safe with sharing, especially since it's about escaping a cult, we cannot record this and we cannot publish it. But we can if we feel safe. So it's up to you. You, you you're the society. It's fine. It's fine with me. Um, and then one thing, like on my end, um, I was so sad. I was telling, um, I forget who I was telling, but like being a midwife, like in this type of situation, it's like being the first base coach. That's how my dad told me that when he coached softball, imagine that when he played softball. Um, the signs were there early. Okay, people, fourth grade, softball play, hey. But um, my dad said, as a first base coach, you feel like you run every lap, you slide into every base, you swing for, you swing for every you know pitch. He goes, it's more exhausting to be a first base coach than it is almost to be a player. And that's what I feel about being a midwife because like every push, every breath, every like not every contraction, but the big ones, you know, I'm just doing it myself in my own body, you know. And there was a point where we were both laying on the bed and you were laying and we were like kind of facing each other and we were both crying because <laughs> like, I knew the shit was going to go down. And I also know I can't go into the hospital and protect you, you know, like there's two things that prevent, um, one is COVID, like they're not letting, I knew they would let your mom in hopefully, but not anybody else. Um, and then also, as you saw, like when I was with uh, Keisha and we were, uh, Say it, tell me your name one more time so I say it right, because I never say it right, but I'm going to learn. It's Kaisha, like a kayak. It's like Kaisha, like Geisha with a K. Geisha with a K. Okay, I need those little mnemonics like that. Because in my heart, you know, I just love you so much. I didn't even, you know, at some point, I didn't care you. But um, we were in the bathroom and you were laboring reverse on the toilet, you know, and then, and I was like, I knew what was happening. And I, see the signs, but at once see the signs, and then later we talked about it again, and we're laying on the bed looking at each other and crying, and, and but during that time, like, I had to go next door and, and help somebody else have a baby, right? So I know I can't leave the birth center because we are high volume, especially after COVID, we're still trying to figure out our staffing and stuff because nobody wants to have a baby in the hospital right now, not nobody, but a lot of people who had always wanted their out of birth experience or out of hospital birth experience are now, like, being able to feel like that, right? So. I know I couldn't go with you, and then you're right, you know, being black or anything other than a white bougie lady, you get the dick around in the hospital, and I'm just real glad you survived, right, because that's a problem, like, the black morbidity and mortality rate is super high, so, um, for, for black folks and also uh, indigenous communities, that's where it's the worst, and I know in my trans and non-binary people, we go in and we get misgendered or, you know, 
trans dude or whatever, and that creates body dysmorphia, and it's terrible, but we're not afraid we're going to get killed, you know, just because, you know, I've never actually heard midwife say this bullshit before that, like, you know, black people don't feel pain the same way. I'm like, what the fuck is that shit? So it was a big problem for me, and it was so scary for me to have to send you, but I knew it was the right thing to do, you know? Um, I do want to say that I want you to start taking it more easy. Like, I don't want you to feel like you have to fend for yourself as much. And this is, if your body wants to have a V-back, or if your body wants to sleep and not pee on itself at 50, I need you to slow your roll, right? And take care of your body and give your body more time to heal. So that way you can get a V-back later if you want one, or you can, you know, for your future abdominal health, even closer to positive. In a safer place now. That's why I'm going to refer you postpartum to say, which I can say thank you if you're postpartum. I'm not even. But um, I got to say that your both birth is very emotional for me too. And And I want to say um, that Jenny Joseph, who is one of my role models, she says that if we do prenatal care, that loves people up, and we do postpartum care that loves people up, that being a midwife is not just who catches the baby, it's who takes good care of you and listens and does all that stuff, both pre and postpartum. And um, that's the model of care that I enjoy doing, uh, especially because I'm keeping up all night. Jenny Joseph just has people go to the hospital because their um, baby can be delivered, you know, in hospital and it fills our Medicaid and they have better outcomes. They have, um, instead of like a 40% surgical birth rate, it's like a 25 or 20 rate which is, I'll take it, you know, I'll take it. So um, even though, and you know what, you, I felt like you really stood up for yourself and if that, with the same kind of situation, which you were saying with the B-cells and stuff on the back, and if that's the way they're gonna let you live, I think you probably did the right time. You actually asked for the right time. I'm sorry, your motion shut down. Anyway, you didn't let them pull you pull even beginning. Good for you, sir. Fuck all y'all, you're stupid. Scar bullshit. Whatever, you're not a cam operator. Having your surgical birth scar and your pubic hair line like you killed them. So anyway, does anybody have anything that they want to say um, before we wrap up? And um, Mom D, can we have you share your um, your story next week? I wanna check in on Bev. Yeah, where is Bev? Is she back on her phone? She's back. She's back. Bev. Bev, Bev I'm I'm thinking about you. Um, thank you. Um, I kind of feel like I, I, I would feel guilty, like, kind of, like, talking about myself right now after, I, I don't know, birth stories. Dude, um, we don't care. Just, come on. Even just, let like, us, right, let us be you know, this, okay. This whole week has just been, like, really, really shitty, and then, like, even just right now, like, I can't even, like, sit down for an hour, you know, to just be here and have this one time to myself a week. It just, you know, my kids are fucking screaming at each other and the baby won't take a nap. And I'm just like, I'm literally hiding in my closet right now. Like I'm, I just put the nine month old in her fucking chair in front of the TV. And I'm like, I'm I've already had like an emotional breakdown like almost every day and I just don't know how much more I can handle and 
I've been like hanging on to I don't know what um I have a therapist appointment tomorrow, so I'm looking forward to that. And like I said earlier, I, I'm in the middle of switching my my antidepressants. I know that, you know, has 90%, that's 90% of the reason why I'm having such a hard time right now. But um, I just like, I don't know how long it's going to last that I'm feeling like this. And it's really... Um, <sighs> I don't know what else to say. So I'm going to check in on how much water you're drinking and how much time you're going outside to get another supplement and nutrition. Yeah, I haven't been like eating much and I'm not going outside and really not drinking much. I'm just doing what depressed people do, I guess. I'm just it's hard for me to even like take those steps right now. And my, the medicine is like really messy with my appetite, which I know is affecting me because I went from eating, you know, like a good amount of food every day to like almost nothing. And I'm feeling like shaky and nauseous all the time. And even drinking water like makes me feel nauseous. So Remind me of your addiction history. Do you have one? Um, yes. <laughs> okay. So, like smoking a bowl or having some weed or something like that isn't an option to help soothe your body a little bit while you get some more food or water. But we I, can be dehydrated. I mean, I have been able to do that in the past and be okay with it, but it started giving me really bad anxiety just out of nowhere and so I can't even like do that now um I'm planning on getting some CBD later today um hopefully that helps that helps a lot I was just so, reading about how oranges like eating an orange can like close up your your mind from like like tangent thoughts so maybe try if you have any oranges or orange juice or some sort of like citrusy fruit even if it's like a lime take a giant bite out of it and it should help like maybe close maybe it's placebo effect who knows i just saw that worth worth trying i'll try it thank you guys for just listening and being here I totally am like, uh, you know, I can relate. Uh, one of like my biggest fears was like depression. 
uh, because like I always experience depression and they're always like, oh my gosh, there's that little girl who is in foster care and depressed. And I have like scars from like cuts. So, you know, uh, it sucks. And when you said that and you're like, I don't know how long it's, this is going to last. I was like, I know exactly where she's at. And it just seems like this stuff does not end. Like it doesn't end. It's like nonstop, like freaking fight with yourself. Like you're in a battle with yourself. And if you know yourself is like a strong person, like you're just in a full on battle with yourself. And I get it. I, I, I get it. And I'm so glad that this group exists. Um, because like the walking outside and stuff like that, I literally, I like, it looks like it's super bright in here because I know that my depressed ass will have blackout curtains right there and I changed them so that there's like, that's not even like a curtain, like that don't even, it's like some mesh stuff, but I know that if it's not there, yeah, I'll be in here with my herb candle and just sit here all day and self-load and even being like a psych major there's no answer there's no answer it's like I I want to help because I know how you feel I want to help you so bad because I care I care about you and I care about your feelings but it's like you can't and we take all these pills that the, they give us after they we take all these pills but you know, psychology is like the only one where you, you know, I can put a thing on and then know my blood pressure or I can, you know, take my temperature, but I can't unscrew my head and be like, oh yeah, there goes the depression. Let me take it out. Like, you know, but when at least you're here, you know, you may not have gotten the whole hour, but you're, you're here and you're getting some of it, some good you know, some good positivity, well, there goes that, can't talk, some good positivity going through, whether it's receptive right now, like, you know, when you, when you are able to receive it, your, your brain's gonna go, you needed to be there for that reason, whether you saw it or not, but we're here, you're here, I'm here now, we're here, and I, and I do care about you, you know, I want, you know, you didn't know that, in your closet, I would be there with you if it wasn't for COVID. And Nico too. He doesn't do much, but he would be there. <laughs> and I would bring you food. You might not eat it, but bring it so you can eat it cold later, maybe. <laughs> and eating it cold later is totally fine. Okay, well, let's kind of wrap up. Bev, uh, get us in the Facebook group where you can text me, and I'm glad you have a therapist appointment tomorrow. That's good. Bev did a cool thing. She, uh, Keisha, she, uh, she live streamed her birth. She had a home birth, and she live streamed it. And so uh, it was on a day that I was supposed to be pooping at the park, and my sister was following along watching it, and then she could see me texting her. And she's like, so she was like, I didn't want to do that. Yeah, so Bev's a cool, cool lady. And she's a little lady. You, you maybe don't notice that, but she's kind of interesting. Or Mags and I are a little bit more substantial. 
Okay, my loves, then let's all wrap up and uh, we always do the same thing, Tasia. Uh, we uh, unmute ourselves and we tell each other that we love each other. And we're gonna remind Bev uh, that to eat and drink something today to help um, nourish her body while her, her mind can get more steady than her body. And I know these are things that she knows, but I'm gonna just repeat them. So unmute yourselves, tell each other that we love each other, and we will see each other next week, and we will have Mama D share her story, and we will check in on depression, especially Doug. Okay? Love you guys. Thank you. Love y'all. Okay, bye. Thank you. Thank bye. you. See you next week. Bye. Are you wanting to join in the conversation but keep missing us live? Then sign up for text reminders at www.preggers.rocks. That's www.preggers.rocks. And we'll see you Tuesday at 11 a.m. Central Time. Oh, thank you.